In the desert, water is a rare and precious resource. There's one such treasure flowing through Arizona, creating a riparian oasis all along its banks. The Verde River provides a ton of recreational opportunities like kayaking and fishing. It supports lush vegetation and wildlife, including more than 50 threatened, endangered, or sensitive fish and wildlife species. And it also has tremendous cultural value, supporting Hohokam and Sanawa cultural traditions over a period of at least 600 years. It's a natural resource to protect and enjoy, and no one knows that better than our guest today, Doug Von Gossig, Executive Director of the Verde River Institute. Doug took us on a kayak trip down the Verde and has tremendous knowledge about the river. So we wanted to sit down with him and talk more about the Verde River, its value, and kayaking this awesome waterway. With that, Doug, welcome to the show. Well, Doug, we really enjoyed our recent kayaking trip with you and the Verde River Institute, um, and we knew that we wanted you on the show to talk to our listeners about the Verde River and what's going on. You've been involved in this waterway for many, many years. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, I've actually been involved with the Verde. Um, I was trying to remember when the first time I ever camped or hunted or fished in the Verde was probably... 1963 or so, something like that. So it's been a while. It's been a while, maybe 60 something years. Um, And I've never left it since then. It's always been kind of my touchstone of places that, uh, that I want to spend time. My father used to say, as we sat on the Verde or hunted or fished in it, he always say, uh, you know, if you might, if you got to be somewhere, might as well be here, you know, and that to him was high praise for somewhere. And so just to sit on the side of the river uh, as a kid with him was a treat because he just wanted you to listen to the water and look at the grass and notice the shade and all of those things. And that was, that was living as far as dad was concerned. And he uh, imbued me with that same kind of ethic. Um, So I've been actually working professionally on the Verde uh, now for about 20 years, one way or another, uh, doing conservation work, a lot of education of what gives the Verde its water, what threatens it, what kinds of uh, interventions we might employ to make sure that it continues to flow, what the biodiversity is, all of those kinds of things are super important because uh, this is a treasure in Arizona that we we can't lose. We just can't lose it. And uh, it's possible to lose it. So that's what we work for is to make sure water keeps flowing in it. So your mission is, is conservation and education. Um, but we, our first experience with you, and not our first, but, but my personal first experience with Verde River Institute was actually this kayaking trip. So... You use you use these trips as like an education tool, is that right? Yeah, we use it as education, but you know, really, I think the 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 most important thing that we accomplish on uh, bringing people out to to actually get wet, and most of you got wet in the Verde <laughs> River. Oh yeah! Uh, once you've uh, experienced the river and you've seen its beauty, and you've 
and you've experienced that there's real water there with real animals and real birds around you, uh, that adds you as a constituent of the Verde River. And that means you'll start to pay attention to Verde River issues. Uh, when you see the words Verde River in the paper or in something that you're reading online, you'll probably read that story because now it means something to you. And we realized uh, about 10 years ago, we wrote a study, the Verde River Institute, before it was the Verde River Institute, wrote a study called the Verde River Economic Development Study. And the theory back then, and it remains, that if you can tie the welfare and health of the Verde River to the welfare and health of the economy of the Verde Valley, you have a much better chance of saving it because uh, the things that you're going to have to do in order to save it are going to be sometimes unpopular. Uh, raising water rates, for instance, restricting the types of things you can use groundwater for, all of those kinds of things are very unpopular at first for people until you explain to them that what we're trying to do here is continue to have this river flow. And if they've never seen the river, they don't care. You know, they'll do the cheapest possible thing and they'll continue down that road of depletion that, that leads to a, you know, maybe a, a river that just flows intermittently or uh, maybe not at all. You know, so that's what we're trying to do is build that constituency. That's awesome. And we run into the same thing uh, across the board with uh, recreating outdoors in a sustainable fashion that people, they generally want to do the right thing but they, mm -hmm. they don't understand what it takes to get there. And sometimes they need a little bit of uh, help convincing why things are beneficial for, for everyone. But um, you know, that's why you guys are out there doing what you do and bring in so much awesome attention to, to that area. And I, I wanted to bring one thing, uh, make one point definitely during this podcast, because when we were on the river, I, I love birds and wildlife and insects and all that kind of stuff. And when we were going down the river, you and Kim worked very well to bring attention to like the summer tanagers and like the warblers and different insects. And it was really cool to watch you report back to her on the um, the two way, Hey, a river left, there's a yellow warbler. And I'm like, I don't even have to work to bird right now. This is awesome. But it was, uh, that was so cool how you guys worked as a team to, to make that trip as informative and, and fun as possible. And, uh, you know, speaking for my wife and I, we can't wait to do it again. Good. Yeah, Good. same here. And we we hope that everyone gets the chance to go see the Verde in person. But for the listeners who haven't been there, I mean, really just to paint you a picture, this river is teeming with life. I mean, you you instantly see and hear and smell the life on the river. It is just um your senses are alive with the life of the river. So, yeah, I, I would love to encourage the listeners to see and experience it for yourself. Um, but you've seen this river experience in evolution, Doug, what it used to be is, is not exactly how it looks today. And you were even explaining on our tour that it can, the river can experience changes in a very short amount of time. Um, so what are the changes that you're seeing on the river and maybe things that you're seeing threaten it? So the biggest change actually in the river happened back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, 
and very few people know about this, but when the smelters were operating in the Verde Valley that were smelting the ore that was mined in Jerome, until 1953, when they all shut down, these smelters created such poor air quality and therefore poor water quality in the area uh, that they killed virtually all of the vegetation in the river. So the river that you saw that was on, this, on the edges was all cottonwood trees and willow trees and bushes of all sorts and everything else. This green belt that runs through the Verde Valley didn't exist then. It was just rock and gravel. Wow. So it looked like a gravel pile uh, for many, many, many years. And then in 53, when the when the smelters finally all closed down uh, due to the lack of new ore, um, the river started to recover. And I kind of grew up at the beginning of that recovery and was uh, privileged to kind of watch it happen. Um, and the river that I remember as a teenager is not the river that I see at all today. It was... Uh, very sparse in trees and other things like that. And of course, I thought that was normal, you know, and that progression continued on uh, to where we have what we have today, which is uh, one of the richest, most diverse riparian forests anywhere in the country and uh, the rarest riparian forest or the, repair, the rarest forest of any type in North America, which is this Fremont Cottonwood Gooding Willow riparia that you see now. Then that uh, river went through several changes. One of the big, you know, I always call this punctuated equilibrium. The, the river or any other system will kind of go along for a while and then bam, it's punctuated by some crisis or change. And then it adopts kind of a new persona after that. Uh, the, the river's big one after 1953 was 1993, 40 years later when it had the largest spring flood ever recorded. So the river that we were kayaking on the other day was about 65 cubic feet per second. This flood was 53,000 CFS. Wow. And Whoa. that took out most of the young trees, uh, almost all of the big trees, except for the ones way over on the edges. Uh, all of the grasses, all of the sedges, everything else went downstream in a flood of that size because it isn't just water doing it. It's also all of those trees and all of that debris and everything else that just kind of grinds everything out and scours the river bottom. So after 1993, uh, uh, we had another large one in 94. And then the river again began to uh, regain the form that you, you see today. Um, the next big one was last year, really. Since 93, the biggest single change in the river was uh, 2021. And that happened because of very clearly because of climate change. Uh, climate change had brought us a long-term drought, which created uh, uplands that have a lot of fire fuel on them. We're all hearing about all of the, the uh, fires that are going on in the Southwest right now. And the Verde Valley had the three of those fires last year, one of which was called the Raphael Fire. It was over the Sycamore Canyon wilderness area in that Sycamore Creek drainage. And uh, that fire built, uh, burned about 18,000 acres. Two weeks later, we had the very largest monsoon storms that we've ever had. 
ever recorded in the Verde Valley. And one of them sat right over that Raphael fire scar and brought down the most silt that has ever been recorded. Uh, the highest turbidity, muddiness of the water that's ever been seen or ever been recorded. And we got all of the water quality during those, those floods. So this record turbidity killed fish, plants, trees, um, invertebrates, all kinds of things, amphibians especially. All of these things that depend on clear, clean water to survive uh, didn't have it for several weeks. And the silts that built up uh, from that uh, monsoon storm uh, then changed the pH of the soil on the river edge and added a tremendous amount of uh, nutrients. So a lot of organic material as well as ash and whatnot that came down. And now we're seeing a die off of plants like uh, Arizona alder, um, Desert willow that's near the river is, uh, we're finding it dying. And even the really hardy trees like Arizona ash and some others that are having a hard time right now uh, because of all that silt. However, there are plants that are colonizing all that silt now. So some of the plants that we're seeing, um, such as the, the equisetum, the horsetail, uh, a plant that dinosaurs used to eat is still here. This virtually the same as it was back in the days of the dinosaurs is now incredibly abundant along the Verde, whereas it used to be a patch here and there. Uh, we're seeing new uh, bottom uh, plants that are growing in the Verde now that we never observed before. We're seeing new dragonflies and damselflies that we didn't record in the Verde. And we've kept pretty close track of those for quite a long time. And now all of a sudden we have new ones and they're even the most dominant in some seasons. So there are so many while we were there. I was yeah, going to say there they're yeah. just these flashes of color that flit by you as you're paddling and, and floating down the river and they catch your eye and they're really fun to watch and beautiful. Right. But oh, yeah. those and the birds and, you know, just the natural landscape, the, the amount of color in the birdie is just uh, absolutely amazing. Yeah, I always think, you know, we always encourage people to, to get into the odonates, which are the damselflies and dragonflies, just like they are birds, because they're just as interesting. Their behavior is incredibly interesting and their diversity and so anyway, we've been through that whole transition again now because of climate change. And, and people ask me, well, what do you expect to happen, you know, this year? It's like, I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. You yeah. know, literally, it's not a joke of any kind. It's just, it's, everything is completely unpredictable uh, these days. So hopefully the river will, will respond well to whatever change there is and adapt to it in some way. Can you give us any insight? You mentioned on the trip that the Verde was the only river in Arizona that flows from the origin to the terminus. And well, the largest. The largest that does. Okay. So is that in danger of uh, becoming intermittent in any places? Yes. Uh -huh. It sure is. And so the first 24 miles, actually, of the Verde River, uh, the headwaters start up north of Chino Valley, uh, north of Prescott. Uh, in a small kind of town settlement called Paulden. And the river runs after that first water comes out of the ground in springs at about uh, 25 cubic feet per second. 
but it runs for 25 miles before it gets any more additional water because it's running through basalt and all kinds of uh, substrates that don't harbor springs until it gets to Mormon Pocket. And those 25 or 24 miles are really susceptible to drying up. And they would that would happen because of excess uh, groundwater extraction in the headwaters aquifer, which is Prescott uses, Prescott Valley uses, uh, Dewey, Humboldt. A lot of these uh, other communities up there now, and especially a lot of newer, newer communities, uh, are using water that forms the headwater springs of the Verde. And the USGS has now proven for some time that when you take a gallon of water out of that headwater aquifer, you're taking a gallon of water eventually out of the Verde River. It, it won't make it to the river, which is where it's discharging all the time. So those 24 miles are in super um, danger. They today get down below 10 cubic feet per second before they get the first additional water in, in uh, Mormon Pocket. And that means you only have to do about 10 cubic feet per second damage to the headwater springs before you're going to lose maybe as much as 20 miles of the river. Then in the Verde Valley, we're growing like weeds here in the Verde Valley as though we've got all the water in the world, you know, and there are no laws in Arizona that assist good water management uh, in the Verde Valley, anywhere outside of an active management area. And that means that all of the water that the people in the Verde Valley are using is groundwater, except for agriculture, which is using the Verde River directly. But the people are drinking and bathing in and using uh, water uh, that they take out of the ground. And that water also was on its way to the Verde River. So they're intercepting it from the ground. So we can do as much damage right here in the Verde Valley as Prescott or Prescott Valley or anybody up in the headwaters area could do. So yeah, the Verde Valley is definitely, or the Verde River is definitely endangered and it's endangered by excessive groundwater extraction. The weather is heating up and that means it's time to get out on the water. Remember, safety first for a great day on the lake. Make sure to use a personal flotation device. For children under 12, it's the law. Be aware of others around you and exercise good judgment. We all want to have a fun time, but drinking and boating don't mix. Be prepared when it comes to your boat and its equipment. Get our pre-boating checklist for a worry-free day on the water at azstateparks.com slash boating safety. So, Doug, you know, you've given us a lot of awesome information about the history of the Verde River. But, um, you know, from what I noticed, you're also an awesome and safe kayaker. Um, you know, that was I hadn't kayaked in like uh, almost 20 years before that recent trip and um it just just had a blast and one thing i noticed uh, it, it kind of stuck out to me was uh your attention yours and kim's attention to to everybody's safety because there are some kind of you know iffy spots in in those rapids especially that last one where everybody <laughs> kept getting stuck from that other um the other group in fact doug was out there saving people from this other group it was amazing to watch and i was like i told my wife i'm like i want to be like doug when i grow up <laughs> I said that. No, you, don't. you really were a hero saving the day for so many people though doug i know you and kim are our Verde river rangers and um i just thought the the assistance that you were providing people 
was um, very kind and gracious. You know, I think that can be an embarrassing moment for some when you know you don't have control of your boat and right. you really were, you were rescuing people. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, so awesome. the Verde River Ranger program really uh, is, is a, a, an offshoot of COVID-19, oddly enough. <laughs> so when uh, COVID hit and everybody was kind of restricted from uh, getting together in any kind of groups, uh, you could go outdoors and still recreate outdoors. And that for Arizona State Parks, for National Parks, for the Verde River, uh, and anywhere else outdoors led to this huge influx of new people that are now recreating. It's a great thing to see, uh, but there are challenges associated with that kind of an expansion of use uh, for any land manager. And in the Verde River, what we noticed was that a lot of people who um, were inexperienced at kayaking at all, and especially inexperienced experienced river kayaking now showed up at the Verde River with a, a brand new boat and uh, no concept of the danger that's involved in kayaking a river, no concept of how to save themselves or what they should know or, or not do or do. And um, it was immediately apparent, Kim actually is, is the person that noticed this before I did. And that was... Um, somebody needs to be out helping these people. We just can't, we can't turn them away. Uh, we appreciate the fact that they're out enjoying the river and, and building that constituency, but uh, they're going to get hurt. And if somebody's not out there doing something, uh, we just think that that, uh, that damage, that personal injury is going to get worse and worse. So, we created the Verde River Rangers that go out and uh, paddle that stretch of the Verde uh, upstream from Clarkdale, which is called the Verde River at Clarkdale. And uh, we talked to the people um, about safety, about how to get through the various rapids. Uh, we tell them about the ecosystem. We tell them about uh, all kinds of things about the river. As much as they want to hear, as you can tell, we'll tell them. Uh, and one of the things that we concentrate on is the fact that uh, most new kayakers don't use their personal flotation device, their life vest. Right. Um, I can't it's Arizona it. state law. It, you, you have to have a life vest on if you're 12 years old or younger in a boat. Uh, but even if you're older than that, you have to have a life vest in your boat. A very large number of people that uh, were not using and didn't even have a, a PFD in their boat. And people ask us, you know, what's the most important thing you can do uh, to get safety improved on the Verde River? I say the first five of them are wear a PFD. After that, there are several other things that you mm -hmm. can do. But if you don't have a PFD on, you might as well be taking no safety measures at all. Right. Yeah, this is uh, not that's the what's going to keep you alive ultimately. Right. right. You're not just and floating people, down. People right. And, you know, it's great that they're out there. And I love having uh, new people experience the river. Uh, but rivers are, they're tricky, as you, you experienced when you were with us uh, on the river. Yeah, actually, we have a, a major push uh, going to get people to understand the importance of, of PFDs. And uh, one of the things that Kim put us in contact with was the uh, Arizona Drowning Prevention Coalition 
and they, through the, the Ryan Thomas Foundation and Arizona Game and Fish, built two loner PFD kiosks on this stretch of the river, one where we put in at uh, Lower Tapco and the other where people take out at Tuzigoot River access point. So people can now borrow a PFD at the upper end of the river, uh, kayak down three and a half miles of river, and then leave their PFD at the kiosk down, down uh, stream. Uh, that and the fact that we are always talking to people, it would be great to see you out here. I hope next time you have a PFD because it will save your life. You know, Try to be as gentle as possible with them. And when we started, we observed that about 25% of the people were using PFDs. So 25% of the non-commercial trips because they have to. But the private boaters, about a, a fourth of them were using PFDs. And today it's about 40%. Yeah. So there's been a pretty good increase. 40% uh, is not good enough. So what we want is 100%, you know. Um, but we'll take 40 right now, and as long as it keeps climbing like that. So that's that's been a real improvement. And I think, you know, initially people just didn't understand how powerful water is and, you know, what a, what a river with its turns and rocks and everything else uh, can do and how difficult it is to negotiate. So we've got them doing that uh, a little bit more. Uh, what we're noticing today is kind of a disturbing trend, though, and that is that we're seeing more and more alcohol use while people are boating. And that's uh, as is quickly becoming one of our one of our big concerns, because uh, as you saw at Rocky Rapid, uh, you saw a lot of people go the wrong way in Rocky Rapid. They got stuck. They overturned their boats. They had a lot of potential for getting injured there, getting your foot stuck in rocks, all kinds oh, yeah. of things. You add that to a couple of hours of drinking beer beforehand, it's not a good formula for success. No, the guys, this rapid was difficult to negotiate 100% sober with a guide standing right there telling me where to point the nose of my boat, even physically moving the boat if you were in position incorrectly. Um, the, thinking about trying to do that while drinking alcohol, I just, no, there's no way. But this isn't one of those situations where you would uh, necessarily need alcohol to accentuate the experience, you know, because there's so much, there's almost sensory overload when you're down there because you're, you're in the water, you got all this stuff going on around you, all the colors, it smells, it smells great, you know, it smells like the river. But um, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine doing that after, you know, a six pack. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we, we pick up a lot of trash on the river and um, uh, we always keep track of what kind of trash we're getting. So how many water bottles, how many uh, flip flops, all of those kinds of things. And it used to be water bottles and flip flops that were by far the most common things we would we'd pick up. Uh, flip flops come off really easily and they end up in the river somewhere. So uh, today, the number one thing that we're picking up is alcoholic beverage containers. So cans, bottles, those little bitty bottles that you get at convenience stores for a buck a piece or something I are our bane right now. They're just everywhere. And why people throw them in the river, I, I think it's less that than that they crash their boat and then those things all fall out and it becomes yeah. riverside trash. But mm -hmm. uh, it, very quickly in the last two years, those things have become the number one litter 
in the river. Uh, there are other things though too that I think people need to be familiar with where they're going, how the river flows and what the current flow is and what does that mean and uh, a lot of things like that that um, inexperienced kayakers don't think about and I wouldn't either if I were inexperienced, you know, nobody would. But they're very, very important uh, things. They they should have seen the river maybe with a guided trip uh, once or twice, you know, um, and we'll supply those. We have commercial outfitters in the Verde Valley that are happy to take people out. Uh, uh, the Outdoor Adventure Center, uh, Clarkdale Kayak Company, both um, take people out and show them this very stretch of river and familiarize them with how to get through all of these things because it's uh, incumbent upon them to have live customers at the end, you know. <laughs> and, uh, so they do a really good job of that. And so I, that's, I think if I were to suggest anything else to a new boater in the river, it would be take a commercial trip first. I agree. Go yeah, learn. I was thinking that all along. I was like, man, I can't imagine doing this without someone telling me um, what to do for the first time. So it's, that's really great advice. Yeah, you don't want to come up on the rapids and not know which way to go. It was so nice that they're like, okay, we're going to go left up here. You know, so there's just, you know, no question. That's the best way to go. <laughs> Trust your guides, kick back and enjoy the fun. And we're going to we're going to link to um, all the places that, that Doug mentioned in our in the show notes. And, and we can't thank you enough for being on the show. Well, good. Thank you. I really appreciate being on it. I love I love to talk about my river. Yeah, your love just exude for the river exudes through what you have to share and i thank you for sharing that with everybody it truly is infectious if you go and you visit this gorgeous place you will care about it and love it so um thank you doug and we hope that all the listeners get the chance to go out and experience the verde for yourself thank you elizabeth and neil for the opportunity all right we'll see you on the river doug all right <laughs>